This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the evening worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for November 19th, 2023. The title of the message is The Delights of Wisdom. Well, if you would open your Bibles with me, we continue through uh, chapter 5. We come to the end of chapter 5 of the book of Proverbs. And after this, I think I'll be, we'll be taking a, a small break. The passage this evening comes to us uh, in verses 15 to 23, and we come to the conclusion of the Father's, uh, father's wisdom, passing on of the Father's wisdom to his Son, and the concluding uh, parting of that wisdom in the realm of of sexual purity in the realm of marital fidelity and of the pitfalls of sin and adultery. So here now then the reading of God's word beginning in verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. May he add his blessing to it this evening. You know, one of my favorite uh, treatises, or I guess maybe for, for, for the great Puritan John Owen, a treatise ended up being like an encyclopedia. But he has this uh, uh, very small booklet about this thick on, uh, uh, on his treatment on sin and temptation. And in it, he puts together a really deep biblical framework for, for dealing with sin, what sin is and how to fight it, uh, and the ways in which God's grace uh, counters it, uh, the way in which we leverage the grace of God, the grace of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to fight sin and temptation. Uh, He reminds us uh, of our own nature and the pervasiveness of sin in our lives, even after we're saved. You know, sin, it's interesting, you know, uh, the more we grow in Christ, the deeper our understanding of of sin in our own hearts uh, comes to light. And so, John Owen reminds us how deeply rooted and how subtle uh, the evil of sin is in our hearts. And it's not like all of a sudden we're tempted by money uh, so we can go and rob a bank. Uh, Sin in our hearts is slower and more subtle than that. We steal a little bit here, a little bit there. Then we steal in greater and greater amounts with more and more frequency we let sin into our imaginations and our thoughts and finally into our hearts. When it becomes so familiar to us, it becomes like a friend. One of Owen's most 
helpful takes on fighting sin and temptation was the idea that our hearts go after what we enjoy. And so a good part of fighting sin and temptation is not so much trying not to sin, but to enjoy the good. Uh, maybe um, I've referred to this in the past where um, uh, Thomas Chalmers talks about the expulsive power of a new affection. That uh, it's not enough to simply not want to sin. You need to have a, a greater affection for the good. You have to have a greater affection for uh, desiring to do what the Lord wills, to do that which is pleasing in his sight more than loving your sin. And that's the only way we can fight temptation and sin. It's not enough to say, nope, I'm just going to you know, say no to it. You have to say yes to something better. And that's uh, one of the more helpful approaches that Owen gives in his book. And so um, if you think about it, every sin is a twisted way of enjoying what God meant as good for us. Uh, Tim Keller talks about it this way. He says, it's taking what is a good gift of God and making it ultimate. To taking the good gift that God gives us and loving the gift more than the giver. And so sin is taking that gift, twisting it, and making it God in our lives. And so like food... Right? If we enjoy food too much, we overeat. If, or like money, if we enjoy it too much, we become greedy. And this applies to uh, sex in the marriage relationship. When we enjoy the good gift of God uh, in, the con- in, the, in the covenant exclusive uh, uh, relationship of marriage, then sin becomes all the less tempting because you're, you're enjoying something better within that covenant of marriage. It, mm-hmm. Sin outside of marriage becomes less and less tempting, less and less uh, attractive, less and less enjoyable. And so we gain a taste for doing what is good so that our taste for sin slowly or all the more dissipates to where the temptation to sin becomes all the more diminished. Uh, And so as we continue in the book of Proverbs, this is the contrast that the writer uh, sets up for us with regards to the joy of married sex versus the pitfall of adultery and sexual immorality. So I want us to look at um, this passage in those two ways, right? The joy of married uh, sex and the pitfalls of uh, adultery and immorality. Uh, The first and foremost way to fight the temptation to adultery is to enjoy the good gift of married sex. Uh, Look at verse 15. The writer, uh, the father, gives this wisdom to his own son. He says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. And so here he's comparing the marital relationship to drinking from your own uh, cistern, right? A, you know, if you know what a cistern is, I don't think we use it as uh, in our in our modern uh, age here. But it's a it's this carved out tank, if you will, a tank where you collect rainwater or you just pour water from a well or some other source so that you can just draw from it. Uh, or a well in which there's a constant source of water so you can just um, uh, uh, 
scoop water from it and have a regular access to clean water. And so he compares drink, he compares marriage, the marriage relationship uh, and sex in particular to drinking exclusively from your own well or from your own cistern. And here I think uh, the writer is touching on two aspects of marriage, the exclusivity of marriage and the experience of marriage and the joy that both of those bring. Uh, so the first, the exclusivity of marriage. Uh, he says, drink from, and you can notice language, drink from your own cistern, right? Not just any cistern, not someone else's cistern, not your neighbor's cistern, not your friend's cistern, uh, but your own cistern, right? From your own well, not, not from anyone else's, anyone else's. And so implied here is that you have all the water that you need. You have all the water that you need to satisfy uh, the thirst that you might have, right? You have your own source of water. So why drink from another? Why steal water from someone else? Um, and so if you have your own source of water and, you know, having a, uh, the parallel imagery to the marriage relationship, uh, why look anywhere else when you have your own source of water, right? Uh, why look for uh, sex outside of your marriage, right? He echoes this idea. He gives the implication, the consequences of this idea in verses 16 and 17. You can follow with me. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? And here's, here's the idea here. If you have a collected tank or cistern or a well from which you can draw water, uh, adultery is like... Um, taking all that water and just pouring it out into the street for it to go anywhere and everywhere and no one can drink it. Even you can't drink it. You don't really drink it if you're pouring it out in the streets, letting it go everywhere. I still remember when I was young, our, our, we had to empty out our pool. And I still remember, you know, having a pump and pumping out I don't remember how big, how many gallons it was, but it, it, it felt like it took 24 hours for all the water to come out. And when, I just remember seeing a, just a long stream of water all day and all night and thinking, oh, what a waste. That's what happens when you try to drink or you look for water in anywhere else besides your own cistern, besides your own, uh, your own marriage. Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. The second aspect uh, of, of marriage is the experience of marriage, the joy of the experience of marriage. Not only should we be exclusive, but we should experience uh, the joy of married love deeply and often. Right? The picture, and this is for married folks, of course, uh, but I hope also for the single folks, this will give you an idea of uh, the purpose for which God created marriage, that it's one of those things where, uh, you know, that uh, it's like a fire, right? The fire, when, when it's put in its right place, so for example, a hearth or a fireplace, it's, it's meant to hold the fire, then you can enjoy the fire, the warmth of it. It's safe. It's not going to burn the house down. 
But if you tried to light a fire in your uh, in the middle of your room that's carpeted with sheets all around it and you try to light it, it's going to consume you. It's going to kill you. And, and so for single folks, sex is like that, that it's beautiful, it's powerful, it's, it gives life in the context, in the safe context of a marriage covenant. Outside of that, it's dangerous. It's, gonna, it's not good. And so not only should it be exclusive, but it ought to be experienced. And so the picture that the father paints here in verse 15 is an ongoing experience of drinking and flowing. Look at what he says there in, in, in the Hebrew. He says there uh, in verse 15, drink water, right? The, the, the Hebrew underlying this is, just, is this, this command to drink water, not just once, but to continually drink water, right? Um, to continually let the water flow from your own well. And so the point is, and it's just kind of thinking through some of the ramifications of what he's saying here, is that if we are constantly thirsty, if God made us to enjoy sex and marriage, then we ought to keep on quenching that thirst from our, from our own cistern, from our own well in our marriage. Because if we don't, then what do you think is going to happen? It's not like our thirst is going to go away, right? We need water. We can't live more than a few days without water. Uh, We're going to look to quench that thirst somewhere else, with someone else, wherever and whenever we can. And if the water you provide and receive in marital love is exclusive then why would you want to share it with anyone else? I think there's few places uh, where you ought, where you're, there's, there's, the scriptures teach over and over again to share every, almost everything you have except your marriage relationship. It is absolutely exclusive, right? Um, share, you can share our money, we can share our resources, share our time, even sacrifice all of that. Uh, but we, but nowhere in scripture does it say, share your wives, share your husbands. No, it's, it's a sacred, exclusive relationship. God made us to enjoy it only in that covenant relationship with no one else, nowhere else, you know, in that, in that uh, covenant uh, bond. And this is interesting because the idea of adultery is closely associated with, with the idea of uh, what is alien or, or strange to a marriage. Look, look at what it says there in verse 17, right? Uh, Let them be for yourself and not for strangers with you. Um, I think this, this idea of adultery as being uh, uh, alienation, something being something foreign to a marriage relationship is exactly appropriate. Um, the writers are reminding us that adultery is literally and figuratively alien to the fabric of the covenant of marriage. It's not only alien to the, to the fabric, fabric of marriage, but it alienates the nature of marriage. Marriage was meant to be enjoyed and experienced exclusively between that husband and wife and to bring in a stranger is to destroy the marriage. 
is to go against the purpose for which God created marriage. It's going to kill the marriage. And so it's, so it's a little play on words there and not for strangers, not for adulterers um, with you. And so adultery goes against the way God made us to enjoy marriage. And that's why the adultery, that's why adultery breaks that, that uh, covenant bond. Um, the point I want to make here ultimately is that the joy of God glorifying God-ordained married love in all of its uh, amazing pleasure is that God gives us the wisdom, God gives us the wisdom to enjoy the good gift and to drink it to its fullest. Uh, I think we don't appreciate the more positive side for which God created sex. You know, um, in conservative Christian and even re- and reform circles, uh, in more legalistic environments, and maybe even more prudish environments, uh, it's hard to, to talk about sex. Right? I mean, at one time I think I, I threatened my children that I was going to preach on the Song of Solomon. My daughters, like, they were like, oh, daddy, no way, you know. But, uh, and I will, I will. It'll be a good threat, maybe. But this is about as close as I can get to it right now, right? Uh, and even now, maybe I'm turning a little red. I mean, just the idea of saying sex, you know, within the confines of an OPC church, I'm like, oh, oh my goodness. Uh, and, um, but, but sex is good. Right? God created sex, didn't he? Right? He gave us everything we need to experience it, to enjoy it. Um, Because he's the one who made it. He's the one who gave it to us. He's the one who commanded us to to be fruitful and to, to, uh, to, to multiply and be fruitful and to fill the earth. He's the one who gave us everything. And so if and when we have it in the exclusive covenant of marriage, then uh, we ought to enjoy it the way that God intended for us, right? And so the more that, that we enjoy it, you know, if, if uh, that is our circumstance and season and station in life, then it is going to shape us into a certain kind of person, it's going to work in us so that our taste uh, is geared towards and inclined towards our affection for our wives or our husbands and less so uh, than for anyone else. You know, whenever I do marriage counseling, I always tell both couples, I say, you know, it's not enough for you to simply avoid uh, having an uh, adulterous relationship or even having temptations with someone of the opposite sex. That is not enough to protect you from adultery or from the temptation. Uh, what, what will protect you more and what will empower you to go beyond the temptation is to love your wife way more than you could ever love any other woman. To where your love for for your spouse is so deep, so satisfying, so rich. Uh, It it makes you so happy and blessed that the very thought of another person coming in is abhorrent to you. It's disgusting to you. 
It's not even a temptation. Now, it takes a while for that to happen if it ever does happen because maybe some, you know, some sins, you know, we can overcome in our lifetime and some sins will always kind of haunt us some. Uh, but the more we love our, our, our spouses and the more we enjoy uh, that married love and the relationship that God gives, gives to us, then the less, you know, the prostitute on the street, the less uh, that, that clickbait on, on, on the internet, the less uh, those short skirts when you're, you know, um, you know, when you go to the beach or whatever will be a temptation to you. And so, you, like, again, you can't, you need to have, you need to love, love the good more than the sin in order for you to truly overcome it. And another aspect of this experience of marriage is the language of ecstasy and intoxication, right? Not for adultery, but for our spouses. This is really, really interesting uh, how God uses this language of intoxication for something good. That, that this idea of this exhilaration, this joy, this uh, ecstasy is not a bad thing if God applies it to something good. That sex in the covenant of marriage is meant to be thrilling and enjoying, and so it feels intoxicating, right? But adultery is also intoxicating, but it's a cheap knockoff, right? Uh, there's no value in it. It's, it's short-term. It's fleeting, and so when we enjoy sex in the, con in the covenant of marriage, it is precisely what God intended for us to experience, that true and deep enjoyment. And look at, look at that warning in verse 20. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? It's a cheap, it's a cheap intoxication. Uh, and this is why I think sexual immorality in all of its present-day forms from Ashley, I don't know, maybe, I, I, maybe I'm dating myself, but Ashley Madison, a, a, an, adult, an app for adulterers, uh, to online pornography uh, is so addicting, right? There's, there's a, uh, an anti-pornography organization called The New Drug, right? And, uh, and the stats are unbelievable. I'm not going to go into each and all of them. Um, but here's the thing. The seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery, is not only about cheating on your wife or your husband. Uh, it's about all the, the, the full spectrum of sexual immorality, of sex and temptation and lust outside of marriage. Uh, and so... One of the ways that we can combat the intoxicating effects of adultery is to see it for what it is, a weak imitation that is going to take away the joy of the true thing. Right? Before you get married, it's going to numb you to the joy of true married sex. The stats are that the more, 
that the more number of intimate partners you have, the less likely you will be able to enjoy a committed, lifelong, monogamous marriage. Why? Because the sex that is supposed to seal you, body and soul, with your spouse, uh, when you are, are mimicking that, when you're imitating that with all kinds of uh, men or women throughout your life leading up to marriage, every time you engage in a partner and then you break it off, the bond that was supposed to be there when you have uh, sex weakens more and more with each partner to where when you finally get to the one that you think you love and you want to marry and you end up marrying, uh, the bond for which sex is supposed to bring you together is not as strong and it becomes weak and it becomes easy to just break up, right? Where marriage is just a, a legal contract. Uh, and so you can just break up and, and get a divorce and it's no biggie. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that God can't renew your view of marriage, that, you, that he can't renew what, uh, what the power that sex has to bond you to a spouse. But uh, having multiple partners before you get married or outside of marriage uh, isn't going to help. Right? And so it's just, it's just a way in which you can think through why, why our culture uh, has such a high divorce rate with such a high premarital sex rate, that those two go hand in hand and, uh, and correlate with one another. And that's why uh, for, for young people and for single people, that's why it's, it is so important, I think, for, for all of you to save yourself for marriage. Because you want, think of it as like those... Um, those like you know when you when you peel off a sticker and you stick it onto something and it's st stuck really really hard, you know. And but if you place it in the wrong place, you got to rip it off and then try to stick it onto something else, and it just doesn't stick as hard. You marriages, sex and marriage is like that. It's it's kind of one of those things where you peel it off and you want to stick it right where to the with on the to the right person, so that it'll really stick and you don't want to take it off. And, um, and so uh, save yourself, uh, young people, save yourself for the one for whom God has appointed for you when, if and when you get married. And then uh, the second question that I want us to consider, the joys of married love uh, point us then to the dangers and pitfalls of adultery. How? By, by reminding us exactly what adultery is. It's not just sex. It's not just wrong. It's not just um, uh, morally wrong, but it's, it is a sin against the Lord. It's actually spiritual adultery against God. And that's why in verse 21, you, you have the second section about, about what it, the the implications of adultery with regards to our relationship with God. That he is our husband, Lord, and we are his people, bride. So when we commit adultery, we are committing spiritually adult, spiritual adultery as well. 
Uh, we are worshiping and bowing down and putting our joy and happiness in something and someone or someone other than our husband, God. Look at verse 21. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and, the, and he ponders all the paths. The guilt and complicity of our sin is, to catch, is, is, is going to catch up with us. Right? The sexual adulterer has to weave such a complex and convoluted web of lies, he is going to get himself caught in it. That's the implication here. Right? Verse 22, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he's held fast in the cords of his sin. Right? Uh, like a, a spider's web or a fisher's net, uh, he is going to catch himself in it. And so then he dies for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. And so the question is, what do we do? How do we enjoy married love and fight off adultery? We can't do it in our own power, right? Everything I've said, it's easier said than done, but you can't, apart from God's grace, you can't do it. Um, yes, you can enjoy it and fight off temptation just for a while with, your, with, with as much willpower as you can muster. But in the long run, uh, some way, somehow you will succumb. The most powerful way, the most long-term way, the deepest way, the most abiding way to fight off temptation is to enjoy God's good gift uh, and find our deepest delight not only in our earthly marriages, but in our spiritual marriage to Jesus Christ through the gospel. We must be intoxicated, addicted, exhilarated, not to sex or drugs, but to the joy of our marriage union with Christ. When we drink from him, who is the cistern and fountain of thirst-quenching joy of living water, when we drink deeply and exclusively from him and find our deepest delight in him, then all other saviors, all other counterfeit gods, all other spiritual adulteries will be rendered powerless. They will no longer be tempting as they were before. They will not be as inviting nor satisfying. Why? Because we will already have been satisfied as we drink of his grace and of his mercy and of his love. It's like uh, what we're going to experience this coming Thursday, uh, you know, uh, where you're going to have this huge sp spread, most of us, right? <laughs> Yeah, most of us, except well, if you're on a plane, you know, maybe. But, uh, but normally when we are gathered around, in, you know, around the Thanksgiving table with this huge turkey, all the fixings, all the sides, the pies, the ice cream, the cake, everything, we are going to eat ourselves so full we're going to have to unbutton a few uh, buttons. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to be so satisfied, you know what, the thought of eating, eating any more from anywhere else is going to feel like it's going to be impossible. Uh, my sister, my sister has to go, her and her family, they have to go to four different Thanksgivings. And so they try to eat as little as possible. But by the time they get to our Thanksgiving dinner, they are so full that everything just, they just can't look at it. And in many ways, that's how it is when we, when we find our satisfaction and our joy in Christ, we are so filled, so full uh, to, that uh, we're not going to go somewhere else and have a little bit more. Uh, we're not going to have a second meal. We're just, we're full, we're satisfied. And um, 
And not only does that work, that, is that the way we ought to drink deeply from our own cisterns with our, our married spouses, but to drink deeply from the cistern of Christ with our husband, Lord. And that is why uh, our union with Christ is the most powerful union, uh, the most deeply satisfying experience of exclusivity and of joy that renders all other sins less and less tempting. And that is why the great hope of the Christian to overcome sin and temptation and spiritual adultery finds its consummation in the marriage supper of the Lamb, where our faith shall be sight, because his bride has made herself ready, and we will feast in Christ, with Christ, drink deeply from who he is and his love and his grace for us for all eternity. And it is that hope by which we can fight temptation and sin. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this, this great truth, uh, Lord, of the gospel. Uh, Lord, help us to drink deeply from uh, from the cisterns you have given to, to us, the great cistern of Christ, to drink deeply from him. How can we, we give our love away to a stranger? Uh, but to you alone do we love and, and do we find our joy. Lord, bless our marriages. Uh, Lord, bless our own sexual purity. Bless our union with you. Uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.